So it was one of those days um, in December where it's ra- kind of like today, except like 20 or 30 degrees colder, where it's rainy and it's not cold enough to be frozen. It's, so it's not snow, but it's rain. And, and I was driving through the night. It was evening, late night. I was driving to Lidditz, Pennsylvania in Lancaster County where my wife lived. And so we met at college. We were students at Grace College together. And uh, we had been dating for a couple months, but not officially dating because I hadn't met her parents yet. You, you kind of get the idea. So, so I was driving out there over Christmas break to meet her parents, mainly her dad, for the first time. And I was so nervous. Uh, I felt like a lot was riding on the line. Um, I knew then that she was going to be my wife. It was just one of those things. I was excited to meet her family. And uh, I was driving alone, and it was raining, and it was dark, and it was just nasty weather. So there I was, faithfully following my Google Maps. Sorry, Apple or Waze users. Google is elite, so just throwing that out there. But I was following Google, and there I was. I was driving, and you know how sometimes the maps will take you uh, off somewhere because it's quicker, it's a quicker route? I remember getting off the exit on the turnpike about 30 or 40 minutes from her house, and it said, go this way, it's quicker. And so I said, okay, I'll go this way. And it was these winding roads that went through the hills and mountains of Pennsylvania. And again, zero visibility. It's just, it's just coming down hard. And, I, and I'm making my best to, to make it to her house. And, I, and I'm going. And I remember coming up over this little hill as fast as I was going. It was, it was way too fast. I was flying. I was 10 minutes from her house. I came up over this hill. And I see this curve, this curve sign. Except in Pennsylvania, curves are like 90 degrees, okay? So I see this curve sign, and I'm, I'm oh man, I'm not going to make this. I remember pumping the brakes and just hydroplaning on the water and flying off the road through someone's front yard, just turfed up their beautiful front yard, slid down and hit an old apple tree. And these rotten apples fell from the tree and splat on my car. And if you know my upbringing in an orchard, the irony is not lost. <laughs> I was so mad about the apples. For whatever reason, that was the worst part of the story. I was so angry. <laughs> well, I, had, I was able to slow down enough. By the time I hit the tree, I wasn't hurt. I got out of the car and I looked. My car was still running. That's a good sign. My, my bumper was, bump, was, was bending pretty good. My hood was kind of curled back a little bit. And I remember, I was like, oh man, okay. The car's still driving. I think I can get out. So I, got, I get out of here. So I got in my car. I put it in reverse and just... Just, just spun in the mud. I was stuck. And I was wet. And I was hopeless. And I was helpless. And I remember trying to think quickly. Okay, what am I going to do? All right. Um, I'm going to, for whatever reason I chose, I'm going to run up and down the street and try to find somebody to help me in the dark. I had a cell phone. I don't know, whatever. I'm running up and down the street trying to find, and I'm kind of like, I see these houses, they're dark, and I get kind of nervous. I don't, anyways, I don't find anyone. So I come back to my car and I had this sinking feeling. I'm going to have to call Rachel. And by extension, her dad, who happens to be a State Farm car insurance agent. So, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> so I was pretty nervous. In fact, I remember picking up the phone and dialing Rachel and saying, hi, don't tell your dad. And she's like, what? <laughs> what happened? And I, and I explained, I said, I, I hit a tree. Don't tell your dad. I hit a tree. <laughs> remember, don't, <laughs> it's very important. Don't tell your dad. I hit a tree. I'm okay. Uh, can you come over here? I think we're going to have to leave my car here or something. And, I, and she said, okay, I'm riding my way. Of course, she told her dad, but she came. And in my mind, I, I didn't know. I, was, I thought to myself, I don't know what we're going to do when she comes. We're going to try to push this out. There's no way we're getting this out. I guess we're leaving it here. I felt pretty useless. I felt 
nervous because I was going to meet her parents for the first time. And this is the first impression. I mean, come on. And uh, I was just in such a low place. I remember that feeling. And then all of a sudden, I saw these headlights in the distance going very slow. They were obviously locals. They understood the curves of Pennsylvania. They're going very slow. And um, it was a Jeep. How many Jeep people do we have out here? A couple, yeah. It's always a Jeep, you know, in, the, in these stories. It's always the Jeep guy. Anyways, he drove past. And then I see his, uh, his lights flash red as he stops, turns around, and comes back. And I just vividly remember him rolling down the window in the rain, sticking his head out and going, hey, I got a wench. Can I pull you out? Do you need some help? I'll, I'll pull you out. And I remember going, let me think of, of course, yes, you can pull me out. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So he comes over, he gets out, he, he drags the wench, he wenches me. I don't even know if that's a verb, but he wenches me out of that spot under that tree, the rotten apples, and he gets me up on the solid ground. And he was so kind. And I remember him going up to me and saying, man, are you okay? And he checked my car. He said, it looks like it's, it's still driving. I think you're good to go. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go. It looks like you're, you're, you're safe. And, and sure enough, I was. And he said, okay, I'll see you. And he, he drove off. Not long after, Rachel came and, and we made our way back to her parents' house. And I was just so helpless in that moment. And that guy saw my need and stepped in and helped in a kind way. He was so kind, showed me kindness. And that kindness continued, actually, when I went and met the big bad father-in-law, now father-in-law. He actually paid for the repairs of my car and got it fixed while I was in Pennsylvania. So the kindness continues. It was pretty cool. But we've all been there, right? We've had those moments where someone shares an act of kindness, is kind towards us, and it, it's meaningful to us. It changes our day. It changes our life sometimes. It's those acts of kindness that really stand out. Maybe you're waiting in line, you know, at Starbucks, and uh, the person in front of you pays for your, your drink. You get up to the window, and they said, hey, you know, you're already paid for here. Go ahead. Or, or maybe you're carrying like a heavy load of boxes, and someone runs in front of you and opens the door for you, and you're like, wow, you didn't have to do that. Thank you. It's just... It's those little things. Someone comes up to you, just smiles and says, hey, how are you doing? It's those little acts of kindness that really stand out to us. In fact, when we talk about kindness, it's often easiest for us to think about how we receive kindness when we think about it. But I want to ask, how are we doing when it comes to kindness? In the nitty-gritties of life, in the mundane, how are you kind? Are you kind? Are you showing kindness to those around us? It's a question that I'm asking myself. I've been asking myself all week. And it's something I want us to wrestle with today. How are we kind in those everyday moments of life, in the mundane nitty-gritty of life? We're in a series called Surviving to Thriving. And uh, we've been talking about life in the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit has now become our new identity. It's changed us. And now we, our identity is in Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit forever with us. Amen. It's amazing. Let's go home. That's, that's awesome truth. But we have this Holy Spirit, and he's changing us. And the more he's changing us, the more we become like Jesus, the more the fruit of the Spirit shine through. And the more the fruit shine through, the more we impact people in the world around us. This represents the Spirit. Everyone, everyone put out your fist. This represents the Holy Spirit. This is our identity in Christ, okay? And this is who we are, saved by grace, sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're heading for heaven it's just an amazing truth. But the reality is, everyone go like this. We have a flesh. And this flesh is at war with the spirit. In fact, in Galatians 5.17, it says that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are contrary to each other. They're waging war with one another. 
And so that's why it's so hard sometimes to have the fruit of the Spirit showing in our lives because the flesh is so strong and they're fighting. But here's the crazy thing about the Spirit and the flesh and the battle that goes on. If you want to win daily, let me say this first, because the victory is already won in heaven, right? Amen? And, and eventually the flesh is, is doomed for death. But for now, we're in the middle of a battle. If you want to win that battle daily, it comes through surrendering to the Spirit. And only when we surrender to the, what the Spirit's doing will the flesh see defeat after defeat. We'll, we'll beat the flesh every day when we surrender to what the Spirit's doing in our life. But so often we just try to do it on our own. We try to be, be good people. Or we just like what the flesh has to offer. And so this battle continues to wage on. And so we're going to be talking about that when we're referring to kindness today. Take a look up at the screen. It's Galatians 5.25. It says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This verse is important because what it's telling us is that the Spirit is moving in a direction. It's go- He's going somewhere. And it's our job to look for ways to walk in step, to go in the same direction that he's going. And when it comes to our kindness, the fruit of the spirit that we're talking about today is kindness. When it comes to that, we have to be in step with God's heart and God's kindness and where he's heading in the everyday. Got to be in step with the Holy Spirit. I think a great definition to help us out for kindness is love in action. So I just kind of want to put that definition out there because I think it's going to help set the tone for our conversation today. Kindness is love in action. We talked about love a few weeks ago. Pastor Mike opened up the series and talked about love. And so God's love has, has impacted our lives. And now kindness is putting that love into action in the world. It's love in action. So I asked this question, how are we doing? How are we doing with Kindness. How do we put this idea of being kind into, into to everyday life? How do we do it? How do we, how do we be kind? What does it mean to be kind to people? How do we do that in the everyday? We're going to be looking at a story in 2 Samuel chapter 9 that I think will shed some light on that question. What does it mean to be kind? How do we be kind to people? And as you're turning there, 2 Samuel 9, I want to give a little bit of background. We're actually going to be starting in um, 8.15, so 2 Samuel 8.15, so a couple of verses before 9. But I think it's helpful to understand this, that King David is at the pinnacle of his reign. He is the biggest, baddest dog around at this point, okay? He's, he's beat all the other uh, kingdoms in the area. He just keeps defeating all these people. He has all these victories. And yet, here he is sitting at the pinnacle of his throne, and we have this amazing story. Here's something worth noting. Anytime there's a pause in Scripture, it's important to pay attention to the pause. So we see battle after battle, victory after victory, and then there's this pause, and then battle after battle, victory after victory. This pause is where we're going to look today because it's a powerful story of kindness, and we're going to learn something amazing from David today when it comes to kindness. So, are you there? Let's stand together and read 2 Samuel. We'll start with 8. Verse 15. And let me say this, guys. When it comes to all these crazy names, you got to fake it till you make it, all right? And uh, if you're confident, then no one else will know you're wrong because I'm going to probably be wrong too. So let's just be confident together. All right, verse 15, ready, 
read, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Joab, son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Eliad, was recorder. Zodak, son of Atzub, and Emelech, son of Abathar, were priests. Sarah was secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoda, was over the Carathites and Pelathites. David's sons were priests. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? All right, good job, guys. Have a seat. Woo, you, you made it through the names. So I, I started with all those names because I wanted us to look at verse 15. In verse 15, it says this, David reigned over all Israel doing what was just and right for all his people. He was ruling in a just and right way. Not only was he at the pinnacle of his reign militarily because of all his military escapades, he was, he was a good king, okay? Here's another cool thing about David. David actually had the Holy Spirit. See, during the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on to people for temporary times, for times of leadership and for ministry. And so while David was king, we learn in the Bible that he actually had the Holy Spirit that was guiding him. And so it's no wonder that he was a good king and it's no wonder that he looked for ways to show kindness, okay? It's, it's no coincidence there. So, oh, it's also amazing that we don't ever get to, we don't ever lose the Holy Spirit, by the way. Um, the Holy Spirit came and went in the Old Testament, but praise the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit forever. He's, he's always in our hearts. He is our inheritance guaranteeing that we will be with God forever. It's just an amazing truth. So let's take a look here. Verse 1, this is an important um, part of the story. Starting out here in verse 1, it says, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? This is important because Saul was the previous king, the previous dynasty, and he was an enemy of David. And so by rights, the tables have now turned, and by rights, David should want to kill anyone that's part of Saul's family. But he remembers something, a, a promise he made with Jonathan back in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, he made a promise with his best friend Jonathan, who's Saul's son. I will always take care of your family. So here we are in 2 Samuel 9.1. And I have to think that this was probably weighing heavy on David's heart. He was in the middle of all this victory. He, he was rising to power. He had a great kingdom. And I have to think that he had this, this thought in the back of his head. I still got to show kindness. I still have to seek ways to show kindness to Jonathan's family, to Saul's family. And I'm sure it weighed heavy on his heart. So let's see what happens next. Take a look at verse 2. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amil, in Lodabar. So David, so King David, had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amil. So, what do we see? We see that David seeks out ways to show kindness. He, he brings in um, Ziba. Ziba was a servant. Um, of Saul's. So Saul would have had property. He would have had 
a lot of his own, own land and, and such. And so Ziba was the guy that was taking care of it when Saul was dead. Saul had passed away with Jonathan. And so now he was taking care of it. So he summons him. He says, listen, I want to show kindness. Can you come here? And, and we can talk about a way that I can show kindness to somebody. And so Ziba shares. There's this guy. He's kind of living in exile. He's lame in both feet. I don't want you to miss this point either. He never mentions his name. He doesn't call him by name. He just says he's a lame guy and lame in both feet. And then David says, well, bring him here. Bring him here. And so Ziba and David's men, whoever was sent, go. They grab this guy named Mephibosheth and bring him to David. David brings in Ziba, sends him out. Mephibosheth comes in. Take a look. Verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Here's kind of the picture I, I think happened there. We're in the throne room. David's sitting on his throne. Mephibosheth comes in. He's lame in both feet, okay? He can't really walk. And he awkwardly gets down. He gets down before the king awkwardly, and he bows down. And I can only imagine that as he was sitting here, he was thinking, this could be the last thing I ever do. I deserve to die I am a threat to the throne. I am, an, I am one of Saul's ascendants. Saul hunted David all his life. There's no way. I am a dead man. And he's awkwardly, because he's lame in both feet, it's awkward. He's down, bowing before the king, scared for his life. And what does David do? Don't miss this. He says, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. He calls him by name. I can only imagine with tears in his eyes. He says, Mephibosheth. Now, I don't know if he knew who Mephibosheth was, but it is interesting that the name is never mentioned until he comes into the room. And I have to wonder if David may have known who he was, may have remembered him maybe as a child when he was best friends with his dad, with Jonathan. I have to wonder if he remembered who he was when he came in because he called him by name. He said, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. Mephibosheth, I am going to change your life forever. Mephibosheth, I love you like I loved your father, Jonathan. And then he says, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. He's giving back all the land that belonged to Saul. He's saying, this is all going to be yours now. You're going to be taken care of. And not only that, he brings him in as one of his own sons and says, you will always sit at my table. It's, it says that four times. Four times it mentions that he was brought in and he would sit at David. He ate with David at his table in the inner circle, brought in, as a son. David was full of so many good intentions. He said, I'm going to do this. I'm, gonna, I'm going to change your life. 
I intend to show you kindness. He brings him in. He has all of these powerful statements that he tells Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is shocked. He is shocked. I love verse 8. It says, he bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? That's so powerful. A dead dog like me. Phibosheth understood that he was in exile. Not only was he an outcast because he, was, he had a handicap, he was lame on both feet, but he was a threat to the throne. So he was an outcast among outcasts, and David was bringing him in with an act of kindness. Let's see what happens next. Verse 9. Then King David summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in, the, um, bring in the crops to your master's grandson that he may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's households were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. David follows through. Let me say that again. David follows through. Not only does he give lip service and say, I'm going to do all these good things for you, Mephibosheth. He then right away brings in Ziba and changes his life. He brings him in and he says, I need you to bring all of Saul's um, wealth. I need you to, all the property that belonged to Saul, this is now Mephibosheth. I want you to bless Mephibosheth because of my kindness. He literally changes his life. He had good intentions and he followed through in his actions. Here's the one thing, if there's one thing I want you to learn about kindness today, it's this. Kindness is when good intentions become genuine actions. It's when we have intentions, when we see a need and we have an alertness to a need and we see a need and we take that intention and we follow through with an action. That is kindness, genuine actions coming out of those good intentions. I don't know about you, but I'm full of good intentions. And I think many of us think we're kind people because we think a lot of kind thoughts. I mean, I think all sorts of kind thoughts. Man, I'm a kind person. But if someone were to actually look at your life and how you live, would they say that about you? Or would they just say you do a lot of thinking? Honestly, I fall short in this a lot. With Rachel, there's a lot of times where I'll say, in my mind, I'll think, man, you look great today. Or you're doing such a great job as a mom. Or I'm so thankful for you that you're my wife. But I don't ever voice it. So how is she supposed to know? Or how many times have you driven by that car with the flashers on the side of the road thinking, oh, the, I'm busy. The next guy is going to get it. Or oh, I think they have another guy there. Yeah, they're, they're good as you drive on by. We do that kind of stuff all the time where we see a need and we think a good thought and we move on from it. We have kind intentions and we move on. 
I don't want you to miss this truth about this story as well. In this story, that David showed kindness to Mephibosheth, we are Mephibosheth. See, we are hopeless. We are helpless. We're deserving of death. We have no right to anything. We're the enemy of the king. And what does the king do? He invites us in. He welcomes us. He adopts us in and says, you will always have a seat at my table. And someday we get to go have a meal with him, the the marriage supper of the lamb in heaven, and praise the Lord that we have been adopted in and shown kindness by God. Amen. That's something worth celebrating. Mephibosheth was worthless in his own right. He thought he had nothing. He, he thought he was useless. He was helpless. And David said, I'm going to show you kindness. And then he did it. And God has invited us in. He's shown us immeasurable amounts of kindness. And now it's our turn. The Bible is full. Page to page, from, from front to back, is full of God's kindness. And God, he showed us his kindness by saving us, by inviting us into his family. And now it's our turn. It's our turn to show God's kindness. It's plain and simple. In this story, we see two types of kindness lived out. We see active kindness and we see passive kindness. Let me unpack that a little bit. Active kindness is when we have intentions, we see a need and we make steps. We actually go out and we actually fix it. We actually do something about it. We actually show an act of kindness. It's taking that good intention and going and doing something about it. And there's passive kindness. That's when we have a posture of kindness. That's how we approach the everyday. We have intentions to say, listen, I am going to have a posture that I am kind and loving no matter what the world throws at me because life can be messy and tough and work can be hard and family life is hard and friends are hard and there's so many things that are challenging and will I have a kind demeanor in my life whenever I face those situations? David showed both. David was active in his kindness when he went and brought Mephibosheth in and said, listen, he promised and he followed through and he said, I'm going to be kind to you. And he was passive because when Mephibosheth came in, he got down fearfully on his knees and he was full of fear. And David saw the situation and spoke in with love, called him by name and said, my son, welcome to the family. We have active and we have passive kindness. Active kindness is taking those opportunities to go out of your way. Maybe it's choosing to help that person when you're driving on the side of the road that's broken down, even though you're late for the Notre Dame game. You decide to stop to help them. Maybe it's an act of kindness to your ex-husband for the sake of your kids. Even though there's a lot of hurt and pain there, you choose to, to go out of your way to do an act of kindness to show love to your kids. Maybe it's that other person on the team. You decide to go up to them and shake their hand, even though they were a jerk. They, were t- they should have got kicked out. They should have been ejected. You go up to them and you say, good game. Shake their hand. Maybe you choose to adopt because you want to welcome somebody into your family and you should go out of your way to show the most tangible way 
to show kindness. You take adoption and you go and you adopt somebody into your family. That's active kindness. And then there's passive. Passive kindness when, when life happens. Maybe you're sitting in a meeting in, in a diner, in a restaurant, and it's an important business meeting. You're about to close a big deal and the waitress comes and spills water all over your lap. How do you respond? How about this one? You're waiting in line, the car line at the bank. You're all the way up to the window talking to the teller. She's messing up your account. The cars are behind her. Getting, they're beeping their horns. The kids are screaming in the back seat and you are frustrated. How do you show kindness in that moment? Or, or maybe you are a, a boss and you have to fire this guy because he's a terrible worker. So you have this meeting and in that moment, you could either crush his spirit and ruin his life or you can build him up and maybe change his work life forever. That might be the moment, the pivoting moment in his life. Maybe you choosing to have a smile even though you're having a terrible morning is gonna impact somebody at work that day. See, there's a lot of ways that we can show kindness, both actively and passively. And David lived that out in tangible ways. He was kind. He had good intentions and he followed through with his kind actions. Turn with me to Matthew 5. It's the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 5. And we're going to be in verse 13. So this is at the beginning of, of the book of Matthew. It is during the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching to a crowd and he's sharing some powerful truths. And I don't want us to miss this verse for today. Matthew five thirteen says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the salt of the earth. Okay? That's who you are. And Jesus Christ, because you have the Holy Spirit working within you, you are the salt of the earth. You are here to preserve to push back darkness, to preserve goodness, flood the world with love, flood the world with kindness. That is why we are here. And when we are salty, not the kind of salty that you are to your wife, but if we're salty in the good way, if we have a saltiness, it allows for the light of the gospel to shine through. Because in how we live our life, how we are kind to people, it preserves and pushes back darkness. But when we choose not to, we begin to lose our saltiness. We begin to lose our influence. We begin to just be lukewarm in our life. Church, there's more for us to live for. We, we can do better. And we're called to, like I said, surrender to the Spirit. Trust the Spirit work. Surrender to what He's doing. And then be alert to those opportunities that are around us. We have a holy, heavenly alertness through the Spirit that gives us those good intentions. We see the needs. It's now our turn to step in and do something about it. Be salt of the earth. And when we do that, it can change someone's life. 
It did for Mephibosheth. It did for us with God when he changed our life. And those situations can change our everyday. It did for me when I was in Africa. About two years ago, I was there with a team in the Central African Republic, and we were going from the capital of Bungi to a village, a remote village. And I can remember piling into the small Toyota pickup and heading out of the city about an hour or so into this remote village. We were all packed in there. There were four Americans, and we were making our way to this village. This is the poorest country in the world, by the way. The poorest. If you look at the list, it is the poorest. One of the most dangerous countries, too. They have nothing to their name. This village we pull in there, it is all mud floors, mud huts with thatched roofs. These people have nothing to their name. But we roll in there, and there's a church in this village. Um, Three Strands has a clinic there. That's the missions organization we support. They have a clinic there. And so we roll in, and I remember being shocked by what I saw. All these mud huts, these people have so little to their name. And as our, as our truck pulled up and stopped, I remember hearing a sound. And we began to walk, and we got closer to the sound, and it, it was louder and louder, and we, it was voices. I began to hear the voices. They were singing in Sango, which is their, their language. And they were singing praises to Jesus. They were doing it because I knew our group was, was coming and they wanted to greet us in a kind and loving way. So full of joy, they were singing these songs. And so we began to get closer. It was a pavilion in the middle of the village. And we began to get closer. And as we got closer, here is what we saw. Take a look. I was so overwhelmed by uh, the joy they had. And uh, that was so kind. They sang for about an hour. And I can remember uh, this moment, this next moment that happened. It was so meaningful. They brought the Americans in and we sat down at this table. And all of the women of the village began to line up. And they, get, they gathered their belongings, their food for the week, some of their living animals. And one by one, they began to bring them in and lay them at our feet as gifts, acts of kindness. Take a look at this.
I was speechless. These people have nothing. Yet somehow they have everything. They get it. They probably didn't eat that day because of what they gave us. I mean, that's how poor they are. And yet they still came and laid it to our, at our feet. We were able to then load up our truck with all that stuff and give it away to other people um, in a neighboring village, which was a pretty cool thing. But don't miss this. They have nothing. Yet they were willing to give it. Guys, we have everything we ever want. Our, our homes are full. We have so much time. We have opportunities. We have cars. We drive around. We see needs everywhere where we could flood it with kindness. Yet we have all these great intentions. And we don't do anything about it. We choose to hold on to those. We choose to, to let those opportunities pass. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge us, church. We have the Holy Spirit. He wants to work in us. He has a job to do. He is moving. He is working. And it's our job to surrender to him and say, all right, I'm going to walk in step with the Spirit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow. I'm going to see those good intentions, those intentions, and I'm going to make them into kind actions. Take a look one more time. Galatians 5, 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. God is walking. God is moving. God is moving forward. And he's given us his kindness. It's God's kindness. And now he wants us, because of the kindness we've received, to be kind to others, to walk in step with the Spirit, to move where the Spirit is moving. Because we can then be salt in the world and we can change people's lives. Mephibosheth's life was changed forever because David was willing to, to follow through on his, on his word, was able to show actions. He was willing to be that guy to change his life. Are you willing to be that to somebody today? Are you willing to be kind? We got to lean into what the Spirit's doing. In a moment, the worship team is going to come out and uh, we're going to be singing we sang part of it earlier. We're going to be singing this new song. And I want to encourage you, as they're singing, as they're leading us through it, I, I want you to just sit there and reflect and think about what the Spirit might be doing in your heart. How he might be prompting you to live out kindness, to trust him, to lean on him. I'm going to read a couple lines from this song that we're going to sing says this, because when you speak and when you move and when you do what only you can do, it changes us, it changes what we see and what we seek. The Holy Spirit changes what we see. It gives us a holy alertness to the needs of those people around us. All those people that have needs, it gives us that alertness. And then it prompts us to seek ways to step in and do something about it. To be kind people who are changed on the inside and living on the outside. That's what we're called to do. We're called to flood the world with kindness. It's love in action. It's what we receive from God and it's now our turn to turn it around to others around us.
Guys, we can make a difference in the world. We have to lean in. We can make our good intentions into kind actions. We become doers of kindness. And when we're doing that, it's just good intentions continuing to become kind actions. That's what it is. It's good intentions becoming kind actions in our life. Let's be kind people today. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you changed our lives. You invited us in, King, to the table and that we now have a new identity in you and Holy Spirit, you're working in our lives and you've given us kindness and you want us to show it to the world, to be kind people, to change someone's life. Lord, it's only when we take our good intentions and make them genuine, real actions that we begin to make a kind difference in the world, that we truly are kind people. So Lord, I just pray that you'll reveal those places this week that we can be kind. You'll convict our hearts, you'll challenge us. And I pray that people here in this room, that for myself as well, that, that we can step in and be kind and put our intentions into action, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.